0: The second episode of the Resi Talks Podcast. I'm Emma Rossa, Resi Editor at EG, and this week I'm joined by Ellen Q's new chief executive, Fiona Fletcher Smith. A month into her new role, we discuss diversity in the industry, her own experiences climbing the ladder, cladding, Robert Jenrick, development aspirations post-lockdown, and fabric club nights. That's all her, not me. I also make quite a few references to Fiona's lockdown diary, which looks at a day spent in lockdown written last September, and we'll include in the notes. Anyway, enjoy. No, I very much enjoyed your um your lockdown diary last year. So thank you for that. <laughs> to sort of jump straight in then, um when you when you send the lockdown diary over in September it was very different to the role that you're you're now finding yourself in. So, I mean, how has the new year started for you and, and how has the handover been?
1: Oh well the, the handover was was fairly rapid in, in one sense. Uh but David made his announcement in, in in the autumn. So as an organization, we had plenty of time to to get used to the idea. So we were in the midst of preparing our five year corporate strategy at the mm-hmm. time and work just continued to pace on that. So I'm I'm in the privileged position of being the internal candidate, I, I was very involved in the leadership of our new corporate plan. So in that sense, the transition from one chief executive to a new chief executive is, is really quite smooth and
0: stable. So I was talking, obviously, spoke to David um, last year and he was sort of midway and he couldn't really share that much on the corporate strategy. Um, yeah. We were aware that there was one um, and now we can get your take on it. What is the plan and what's the focus um, and, and how have you helped
1: to shape that? Well, the, the corporate plan is still in draft, but uh, I can give you some some clear hints and direction within it. Mm. The the big priority for us, uh, which will be no surprise to you, is around the safety of our residents and yeah. the existing stock. So we heard some good news from the Secretary of State last week about additional money for cladding removal. I'm sure you'll want to talk to me more about that. Yeah. Um, but it's about the safety of our residents, about investing in the existing stock. We have 110,000 homes. We're landlord to a quarter of a million people. So they really matter to us. It isn't that we're going to stop building in any way. We're on site with 20,000 homes at the moment. And we have a pipeline of about 30,000 agreed. Mm-hmm. We also have just shy of 60,000 plots still to build. So we've got a massive programme. Uh, we had two big deals in the, the last two weeks, the Far Eastern Consortium and the North West, which we're absolutely delighted about, our yep. first Northwest deal. Oh, uh, is it? Nice. Yeah, you know, this is the first big thing we've done with our subsidiary Trafford, which again, we can come back to. Yeah. And also the deal we did in Cambridgeshire with the Hill Group for mm-hmm. Wesley Green. Which yes. is eight and a half thousand units uh, built on Garden City principles in in Cambridgeshire, which is just wonderful. Yeah. So all of that, all of that, will be in our new corporate plan. But the real focus is is as I say, is on our customers. And what will underpin all of that is really improving our customer services. So the residents who already live with us will they they really deserve to have high quality consistent services from us and that's what's what we're going to call operational excellence and that will drive a lot of our business processes just to make things easier for residents that's interesting because about just under a year ago i was talking to brendan
0: sarsfield from peabody and he was saying kind of a similar thing and and it may be a wider industry trend you know, rather than focusing on expansion, it's looking at the current portfolio and looking at the kind of the challenges within that and opportunity for building those
1: customer relationships seems to be a a
0: big thing right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's more to what happened at Grenfell than simply the story of the cladding and the fire Mm. safety. It is about (laughs) things like the stigma of social housing and how landlords treat their residents. And frankly, it simply wasn't good enough. So the other Plank of all of our corporate plan will be around building on what the white paper is saying to us about resident engagement and having residents more at the heart of what we do. And it's about making sure that that goes right through the organisation. So, for example, my development teams need to think about the customer as much as my customer service team. Um, And it has to be a theme right across the business.
0: So that's something
1: that sort of starts at
0: kind of land acquisition, kind of identifying sites and, you know, um, I guess planning too.
1: Yeah. And it's really interesting. When I was at City Hall, we we led some research into how to help the construction industry become more diverse, for example. And we looked at architecture as a profession. Mm -hmm. Now, architecture is actually quite a diverse profession. There are lots of people from um, BAME communities, lots of women. But what we found was that 98 percent of architects come from the top two socioeconomic groups because the training is so lengthy, you do need a wealthy background to be able to continue doing that. And what was interesting for me is if we're doing something like estate renewal, if we are doing a project, say, on the South Kilburn estate, if I have people around the table, sort of architects who have grown up on dense inner city housing estates, they will have a much much better, more interesting idea about how places can work than if, you know, I don't want to slag off Surrey, I'm sure it's lovely, but if you're brought up in a leafy mansion in Surrey, um, so the cognitive diversity that comes with yeah. all really fascinates me. And I want I want that right across the business. Everybody's view matters. And that, that difference really matters in decision making. Yeah. And you get that with a residents panel because, you know, you've got people from all walks of life, all sorts of backgrounds. Yeah all reasons for being where they are and uh, yeah. The focus on
0: diversity did come through in your lockdown diary as well Um, and it is something I suppose you're able to in some ways emphasise and and make a priority for the business but for the wider built environment how how can that become more diverse because I mean certainly Eg, for our readers, it's something that we talk about a lot. but There is a concern about that, and how to make it more welcoming for for different people to be able to work and um, and and thrive within the sector as well. How is that possible?
1: Well, you you start with appointing women yeah. to chief exec roles. You start yes. appointing main people <laughs> to to boards. I mean, mm. I'm I'm an immigrant to the country. I'm I'm not British. Uh, I must sort that out at some stage before. We get another hostile environment from the Home Office. Um, but but so I'm, I'm really conscious of how it feels to be an immigrant in Britain. I'm a woman in the development and construction industry. Um, I'm a woman leading a multi-billion pound business. Mm. These things, I'm I'm a role model. Mm. I'm also I'm not. I've no intention of pulling up any ladders now that I'm here. I'm still continuing my mentoring of of young women in the, in this organisation and yeah. in others. It's really important for me. When I'm replacing myself as development director, which is in train at the moment, mm-hmm. that's going to be a strong theme in in what I want this new person to take over because I don't want the work to stop. But we just we. It's also it's not easy and it's yeah. difficult and it involves some really challenging conversations. So our um, staff network on uh, black and minority ethnic issues, uh, Kaleidoscope, has been leading some discussions with the senior executive team around race and those conversations in the wake of Black Lives Matter are incredibly difficult, really, really painful um, for all involved. And there is a lot of fear about what white prejudice might mean for me, what unconscious bias might mean for me. Um, and what I'm very keen we do, particularly at L&Q, is create safe spaces where we can have these conversations and try and understand what the real blockages are. Um, and do, Then do something about them because we, yeah. we've, we've got to walk the talk, not just talk. Yeah. There's a lot of talking in property. Not a
0: lot of walking. Yeah, yeah. Great to hear, actually. You saying, you know, putting yourself forward as a role model and as an inspiration to continue to not closing that door off to the office and saying, you know, I'm in the C-suite sort of thing. But I mean, what's your personal experience been like working up through in development, in construction, but coming into a chief executive role as well?
1: It's been uh, it's been hard. I think it's been harder being Irish,
0: uh-huh. bizarrely,
1: um, because Irish in construction, it, you know. You, you, there is a sort of a stereotype of the the Irish person involved in construction is the guy called Paddy leaning on a shovel. Uh, yes. there are a lot, there's a lot more a there's a lot more to construction and yeah. uh, b there are a lot more women in in positions of, of power who who you know who have an Irish background. Um, I've been very, very lucky in that spending 25 years of my career in the public sector, either in local government or in regional government, mm. has has been fantastic because I do think the public sector has has really tried hard at this and has cracked yeah. some of glass ceilings for women and for uh, minority colleagues. Uh, we have a lot more to do on this. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was at a I was at a conference a couple of years ago on um, offsite manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were four men on the panel. Uh, three of them were called Mark. And uh, you know, I know there are so many amazing people working on offsite manufacturing and design, mm-hmm. and lots of them are women architects and women designers and engineers. And I do think we have to think very carefully. About the, those subliminal messages we are sending that well a it's easier to get into this panel if you're called mark never mind if you're a man <laughs> um, but we've got we have a real leadership role in the industry um and i'm so delighted that conference organizers now are taking us seriously when we say i don't want to be the only woman on the panel i'm yeah. not spoken anymore i'm here in my own right i've got a lot to say um and actually here's a list of other women i know and then yes. we've with people at Future of London who maintain a, a register of speakers so we can put forward our um, BAME and female staff, for example, on construction issues um, and give them support to be able to yeah. speak on panels and speak publicly. Yeah.
0: Well we all go to these events and see that it isn't just a room full of marks but it is it is exciting to know that there are actually people there that can be put forward to go on to those panels and to and to yeah. sort of continue that process of
1: inspiring more people to join. Because exactly. um, if you um, see people who look like you, at the front on these panels, on these stages, virtual or otherwise, yeah, you you start to believe, well, I can do this. Why can't I do that? The other thing I always did and the, the tip I give to mentees is about volunteering for things. I have done the most random selection of stuff. I've <laughs> implemented an IT system and you know, at the time I knew nothing about IT, but I do now. I've done that. Where did you do that? <laughs> um, a very small housing association in Southwest London in the very early 90s called Harding only oh, okay. had 1,800 properties but we needed a new IT system, we needed somebody to volunteer to lead it, I did. Yeah. I actually I know more about human nature than I do IT system because really your biggest blocker is, is an IT system that humans can't use is your biggest problem. Yeah. So, so as, as a woman, I was explaining to the the developers about the concept of intuition and that if something wasn't intuitive, it wasn't going to work. Uh, I was proved right. Uh, we got there in the end. Yeah. But then in Hackney, I, I managed the uh, environment team who were we had an in-house uh, refuge service and tri- street sweepers. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I, I would get up a couple of times a year, I would get up, get dressed in my whole street sweeping outfit and I would go out and sweep the streets with them. I was out on the trucks, emptying bins all around Hackney. It and why was, were you doing that? Was
0: that something that, that you thought, I want to get as much experience from different places? Or was yeah. this a pathway that was already sort of um, available to you through your current employment at that time?
1: No, it was it, it was really about it was curiosity. Um, I think leaders have got to be curious. Yeah. I'm really curious about what it felt like to sweep the streets of Hackney. Um, I wanted to we we're about to commission a new fleet of refuse trucks. I wanted mm-hmm. to know what it was like in the old ones. So that Yay. signing off the, the specification. Oh, here's a, a great example. They the guys who were driving the trucks were telling me that they had to have air conditioning. And I was going, Well, you know, you're in and out a so lot. Why on earth would you need air conditioning? And so one July morning, really hot July morning, they took me on the route that empties the big tailor bins for the fish shops in Stamford Hill. Ooh, lovely. So those those <laughs> rotting fish heads have been in there overnight and, <laughs> and um, I'm emptying the bin at like seven o'clock in the morning, feeling a bit, oh dear. Get into the cab of the truck and immediately you realise that if we'd had air conditioning, I'd be able to breathe and I'd cool down and I'd feel a lot better. So it cost yeah. a million quid for the for the fleet, but absolutely worth it because it made their jobs easier. It made them more effective employees for
0: yeah. us. Yeah. And
1: I would never have known that if I if I hadn't gone out on that particular bin round that particular morning.
0: That was one of my questions I was going to say to you. I mean what sort of advice do you have for you know people either looking to join the industry or who are ambitious
1: within the industry? Yeah, do, do different things. Um, okay. One of the things that surprised me when David Montague rang me about becoming the development director was oh, yeah. David was as interested in the breadth of my experience as opposed to just my narrow focus on development uh, because you, you bring so much more with you. That Again, back to that cognitive diversity that comes from doing lots of different things. So my big advice to people is don't be obsessed with a linear uh, ladder up Take, I've taken lots of steps off the ladder to do sideways things to do things that are interesting mm-hmm. because they, they contribute to who you are in the end and be curious just you know ask questions um, don't just focus on your own bit of the business um, ask questions about everything that's going on I think if we'd been a bit more curious about a few more things in the past some of the issues around fire safety wouldn't be where they are yeah uh, Yeah, so curiosity is the essential thing for a leader. You know, everybody talks about authenticity. Yeah, get that. Absolutely. But yeah, I'm curious.
0: Yeah, I guess that's that bit extra as well, because you expect someone to be authentic, but that continuing to question and push boundaries a little perhaps.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it'll irritate the hell out of my colleagues, but. <laughs> How did David respond to it? Uh, well, Quite David, well, he's given you his job. Absolutely. And David is one of the most curious people I know. And um, it was wonderful working with him. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes he'd be a bit too curious about bits of what I was doing. And I just go, oh, do you really need to know? And then you think, well, yeah, well, he's curious. This
0: is good. How would you, this is a a tricky one, but how would you kind of compare yourself as a leader to to David? How are you different and how will that potentially kind of shape the company um, in a different way?
1: I think we we come from different backgrounds and different yeah. professional backgrounds. I think it's the biggest difference. David was um, accountancy finance. Um, I am sort of wider development, regeneration, planning. Yeah. Um, so so that that's probably the big difference. The the thing that we have in common that really matters to us at Ellen Q is an mm-hmm. absolute firm belief in our social purpose. Yeah. We, we may be one of the the biggest volume house builders in the country, but we are a housing charity first and foremost, and that drives everything we do. Yeah. We build housing for sale so that we can get profit into the business to do what we really care about, which is affordable housing, our L and Q foundation and helping people. And and those that that's what L and Q was very, very keen on in the new chief executive, somebody who really yeah. has a social purpose. And that's where David and I are, are just completely alike.
0: Yeah. yeah, that was the, the sort of kind of sign off in his exit interview that he did with EG. And I was saying, yeah. well, you know, what's the one big thing that you would want from you know the person that steps into the role? And he said, absolutely have to be aligned on yeah. social purpose. And I guess that sort of brings us back a little to the the strategic plan. And, and you said, you know, within that um, to the five-year plan, you've got safety being a huge focus, the yeah. customer kind of operational excellence. Um, and I would I would imagine the way that you're speaking as well, that the social purpose is um, certainly
1: ranking high in there as well. If you think about um, the uh, it Office of Budget Responsibility forecast on mm-hmm. unemployment, Hitting what seven and a half million middle of this year, that's going to affect our residents. So how can we help them? Uh, whether that is through being able to sustain their tenancies in some way, whether that is access to retraining and job opportunities, whatever it is, mm. we within our plan we we will need to build in some resilience to be able to deal with that as an organization. If you take learning from the pandemic as well, one of the key learnings for us is that We we know that a number of our residents are vulnerable, but we were able to shift the business to make weekly calls to residents to just check if they were okay Mm -hmm. In lockdown one, checking if they had access to food, were they able to get online deliveries or whatever it was. Um, And our residents are telling us that really mattered and made a difference to them. So things like that, that we will want to shift the business to continue doing. And that will be built into our corporate plan as well.
0: Yeah, how, how does that look for, I mean, that, that works for, for the operational, you know, up and running existing tenants, but what about if you're looking earlier at development, so um, just looking at kind of your last, last year results, the last nine months to December, um, the shift to the greater focus on delivery of social housing, yeah. um, is that strategy
1: or is that market led or is that a combination perhaps of the two? It's it's to be honest, it's a combination, but we will want to deliver a minimum of 50 percent affordable housing. Mm -hmm. uh, And that that's that's our aim right across the country. Um, That is not always easy because we do rely on subsidy either from ourselves, subsidy from uh, government funding, Um, subsidy from ourselves is harder because we want to focus on safety and investing in our own stock. So that's why our um, we will be focusing on the existing pipeline and our existing land ownership rather than buying a lot of new land. Yeah. So what it also says to me, if if you think about the figures the NHF came out with in 2019 about 8.4 million Britons being inadequately housed, I think the pandemic will show us that that hasn't got any better at all mm-hmm. and it has got a lot worse. So it is even more important that we focus on providing affordable, genuinely affordable homes for people. So hence that 50% will come baked into our strategy. It's also, you know, if you, if you think about um, a lot of economists have done work on this, and I did some of it at City Hall, looking at the impact on GDP of affordable rented housing. So, you know, social housing in mm-hmm. the lack can be very complicated around this, but but affordable rented housing, it means that people can they can afford to do other things like spend money in the economy. Their kids education Mm -hmm. payment is better. The health outcomes are better. So the overall impact in the longer term on GDP is incredibly positive from affordable housing. I absolutely believe that uh, particularly the Secretary of State, Robert Jenrick, and government understand this. And that's why you've seen in the latest affordable housing programme that that, that that is really recognised. Home ownership matters to the current government, but they really get that affordable rented matters too.
0: Yeah. With that um, kind of commitment to 50% affordable housing for new developments, have you got a commitment? Is it possible to have a commitment for social housing within that?
1: Um. Well, we try out of that 50 then to have 50% rented affordable, but it's very dependent on the planning authority of the area yeah. and what the local need is, because as a big developer, it's really important to me that we work with the local grain of an area. Yeah, so for example, there are, I won't name them, but there are some London boroughs who want in some areas of their borough to reduce the amount of social housing and actually provide more mixed and balanced communities. Um, so, it, so it'll be development and application by application in how we do this. So yeah. Some areas it might be less, some areas it might be more.
0: Well, I guess some of that maybe would also come down to just viability as well for an area.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. But also, you know, if, if you've got some monolithic council estates in areas and you want to introduce more economic activity to an area, yeah. If you provide a more mixed, balanced community where some people Mm. rent, some people buy, some people park by, you get that mix. That's where we can help. Just
0: hopping back to the cross-subsidy model, when I spoke to David, he was really flying the flag for it and saying the positives that have come out of cross-subsidy and quite outspoken. And and you've also been quite outspoken yourself in the past, saying that actually, (laughs) yes, (laughs) come to regret that one. Uh, no. (laughs) It was a couple of years ago, but I mean, you're saying that the cross-subsea model was really broken. Um, What's your thought about that now? Would you say the same is still true or um, is there further context to that maybe?
1: I I think the context was was missing and um, I was merely, when when I was quoted, I was merely repeating what Lord Best had said. We were both on a panel and he said it before (laughs) me, but I think because I was the woman in the room, um, I had the louder voice, uh, which is interesting. But it it is about context. The reason the cross-subsidy model is really difficult at the moment is the profit I generate, I want to use for safety and investment mm-hmm. in the existing stock. In the past, all of that profit would have gone in to subsidise new build. And I just I suppose it's there's only one pot of money. Yeah, uh, you can only use it once. And that's where the cross subsidy model is in difficulty. Now, the Secretary of State himself last week in Inside Housing on the back of his statements in in Parliament, he was recognising that fixing the safety problem means that two things will give for housing associations, one of them being new development and the other one being our climate action programme. So, so there is general recognition, and I think that's half the battle. If people recognise there is only one pot of money, um, we can then look at more creative and imaginative ways to generate, yeah. however it is, you know, whether it's additional subsidy for, from government yeah. to this point, if we recognise that GDP gets a really positive um, impact from affordable housing, mm-hmm. is there an argument for putting even more into, into a programme of house building by housing association? Yeah. So is it a bit more of the cross subsidy model in isolation doesn't work?
0: Yeah. But it's all part of a a mix that's that's required. With the kind of Secretary of State comments last week, what was your response? There's been a huge amount of government finance going, but there's also the new uh, residential developer levy, um, Gateway 2 levy, um, more taxes and still the finance that is generated to be focused on those over 80 metres.
1: So, a number of things to say about his statement last week. First of all, we're absolutely delighted that he's putting more money into this. Yeah. That's great. Um, there is a lot of detail just on that fund, how it's going to work. We've got to get our heads around that. Um, we were slightly confused about 18 metres versus six stories because that that does have a difference for lots of building owners. Okay. Um, so we, we will crack through that detail with his officials. In terms of levy and taxation, we will just build that into our appraisal models yeah. Get on with it because we have to recognise the government is going to come out at the end of this year with a budget deficit of 394 billion. So you know when I talk about everyone's got to find out part of money so do they. Yeah. If we as an industry need to contribute to making this situation better, absolutely do it. We're yeah. also we, we share the concern about passing costs on to leaseholders and at LNQ, uh we haven't made a decision formally on what we're doing, but I can tell you something, like we we have taken the costs of Waking Watch, which is 20 million so far for us, and yeah. we absorbed those costs ourselves and haven't passed anything on to our leaseholders. Mm. But given the scale of the problem for organisations like us and the fact yep. that we are a charity, um, there are you know, rules around our fiduciary duties as a charity where we will have to look at this at some stage. Yeah. Um, which is not you know, it's a terrible position to put our leaseholders in. Um, so anything that we can do to help working with government, whether it's access to that fund, yeah. whether frankly it is going after builders who have built rubbish quality, because we will do that, uh, we mm. are doing that, um, we will do everything we can to minimise the impact on our leaseholders.
0: Yes, yeah, I mean, I think so l has got 200 towers over 18 metres, but 2,700 under. So yeah. whilst that finance for anything over 18 metres is great, the real problem is the scale of those
1: smaller buildings absolutely exactly and it was his repeated use of the word cladding mm-hmm. um, yes not the only problem Um, especially if you take those buildings below 18 meters yeah
0: Um,
1: in London alone there was an incredible fashion for wood cladding um Mm -hmm. during the 1990s um I sat through repeated meetings where architects would assure me in planning meetings oh it'll go beautifully silver gray and everything else it didn't it looked. it still looks like rubbish and now it's a fire risk yeah we've we've got to we've we've got to keep pressing him on and you know he's He's trying to do his best. He's listening. He's absolutely yeah. listening. And we, because we're an early adopter, we're very close to the discussions with him. And we have every faith that the government is going to try and do their absolute best on this.
0: I mean, L&Q yourself, you've put in, um, I think, it was it 120 million that you've dedicated to fire remediation, the Waking Watch, um, a range of fire safety sort of protection. Yes, yeah, so we've so increased
1: that. Uh, we will be increasing that this year to 250 million. Okay, Um, but Emma, the problem is we don't know the full bill yet because we're still surveying. And, you know, that's the other thing that that I think the government are working hard on is to try and with the insurance industry, Mm -hmm. is to try and make the whole P.I. issue for people working in this area better um, and to try and encourage more people into it. Um, you know, I have a ten-year-old son, that I'm talking to him about if you know, if you have any interest in construction at all, anything to do with with fire surveys, it's fascinating. You know, mm. it's chemistry, it's all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, he's he's resisting my attempts. So, yes. thoughts
0: on kind of the the wider some of the um, changes coming from government at the moment. What are your thoughts around the treatment of shared ownership and how there is a focus on home ownership within the government at the moment still? Um, and that's coming through in, in policy now. We're seeing first homes, but also the shared ownership and the costs that would be passed on to landlords through that. As you've moved to focus on social housing, it does feel that the government is still, you know, beating the drum for um, home ownership.
1: Yeah. Well, the the first thing to say is L and Q has been building shared ownership for over thirty years now, mm-hmm. and it's incredibly popular. Uh, the thing to remember about shared ownership is is it's it's often about the deposit. Yeah. So, Finding a 10 percent deposit on a 25 percent share is a lot easier for people uh, who don't have access to the bank of mum and dad to pay deposits for them. Um, So it it will remain an incredibly popular product. I think I completely get where the government are coming from on the equity of capital recharges if you only own 25 percent. And I think some of their model lease requirements did need looking at. um, On that, so you know, full steam ahead to all of that on ground rents, um, on lease extensions, mm-hmm. value, all of that, absolutely positive. We just price it into whatever we're doing. Okay. On new build, what I was concerned about is is the the, the too sharp a transition between. Yeah. I will be selling existing um, shared ownership product homes right against the new Mm. shared ownership homes with a a 10-year repair holiday. Now I would hope in anything I built that you you wouldn't need to do anything major to it for 10 years. I don't think you should be doing anything for 10 years but still. Um, So we will have to work out in value terms what what the market can take for both those homes. So if you take, um, we own lots of sites around Milton Keynes, if you take Mm -hmm. the Cambridge Oxford corridor, we will be building right next door to each other, um, different types of homes. I'm just really interested in how that transition is going to work. I'm very cynical about right to shared ownership because we have put figures in front of the government about our existing residents. The average income of a resident in L&Q is less than £14,000 per year. So their ability to raise mortgage finance, even on a very small share, is going to be very, very tough. There are some lenders who still think of shared ownership as subprime. Um, So, you know, only a tiny share when you've got an income of 14K a year. I just don't see lenders going for it. Yeah. So I think I... I know what they're doing. It's sometimes you know I've worked in this. I've worked in policy development at city hall for for a decade. It's sometimes you're quite removed from it. Um, And what is great about the government is they do listen to us.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Sometimes we have an influence. Sometimes they decide that their policy is more important. But but it's really important that people keep listening to Mm. the people who are on the ground, telling you how is this going to land? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about this? And they do listen. Yes. It's disappointing when they continue doing, continue pushing a policy idea, but that's what they're elected.
0: Yeah, I guess maybe it's just challenging as well for the industry if they they continue. But but with those very speedy changes. So, I mean, the new model for shared ownership will be coming into starting with any Section 106 planning consent from April this year. That's quite a sharp Um, change.
1: I will. I will still have new shared ownership homes being built over two to three years from now. Yeah under the old regime
0: <laughs> that's oh that's, so you'll have you'll have the the two competing
1: yeah yeah i'll be yeah. cannibalizing myself which um in retail terms i'm told works but i'm not a retailer
0: yeah so will we expect to maybe see some less shared ownership
1: coming forward from l&q no, or not no, we're, not we're not to totally extent. committed to it it's okay. it's such a great way for people who do want to own their own home to get on yeah. the land. um you can staircase out you can mm. do sorts of things i am you know i get the point on equity um i'm really concerned about the equity of of um it's actually the leasehold model i'm really interested in the the government's ideas and their task force on common hold i think there are lots of of different ways Mm -hmm. you know i don't know who's been holding up common hold whether it's the legal profession whether it's the surveying profession there's one or other of us within the industry has some kind of objection to this but but our Mm -hmm. residents I think, I think lots of our residents would benefit from yep. more influence on it.
0: OK. Um, in terms of looking at the different tenures, whilst you've had a drop in the, the market sales and, and highlighted some of the challenges purely relying on market sales, um yeah. And as you go forward, you know, committing to that, that proportion of affordable housing, is there at the moment this point in the cycle, do you think more of a potential for built to rent and market rent um, as opposed to market sales? Would we expect to see more coming from LNQ? You already have quite a lot. I mean, I think I've seen you, being you. one of the largest landlords of built yeah. to
1: rent. Yeah, we. We we think we are just about at the right level for our okay. build to rent portfolio. So it's quite capital intensive. It ties up capital for quite a long time. So we will do it as part of mixed and balanced community. So where we're doing mm-hmm. a major development, we we want a mix. So so it's very much part of that. Um but we have been watching with interest what's happening in some of the uh inner city areas. So you see a fall off in demand for rented homes that feed into places like Canary Wharf, the city centre of Birmingham, centre of Manchester.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but we are seeing then we're seeing rental growth in outer areas. So we're seeing rental growth in places like um, Leamington Spa, places like Milton Keynes, yeah. outer London boroughs like Bromley and Enfield. We are seeing rental growth. Uh, so we. We don't have major plans on the PRS side okay. or the BTR side, but it will be definitely part of mixed communities for us.
0: Looking at the results again and seeing the, the reduction in the market sales um, and the focus on affordable also sort of coinciding with a, a new geographical focus. It may not be new. It may be it's those partnerships that you've already put in place. We're seeing the effects of that now, but yeah. it seemed very much less on the southeast, more on the north.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Our acquisition of Trafford just over a year yeah. ago uh, was a real signal about a, a tilt to the Northwest. And mm-hmm. the the first big deal you've seen coming out of that is the Far Eastern Consortium, which yeah. uh, Trafford were able to do because of the financial strength and stability of the L&Q group mm-hmm. um, and also the combined uh, brilliance, I would say, of the Trafford development team with the the rest of the L&Q development team that's been yeah. able to pressed the consortium. So that, that's our first big deal. Um, London is still important to us. The Southeast mm-hmm. is still important to us. The acquisition of Gallagher's estates in 2017 means you, you now see us uh, building a lot in the Central Belt and the Midlands and East Anglia. Yeah. Um, but London, we still got our two huge schemes in London of Barking Riverside and Greenwich Peninsula with Night Dragon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so that's, that's really vital for us as well.
0: What are you looking forward to for the rest of this year? I suppose, you know, we will come out of lockdown at some point. What are the kind of the big milestones or the big moments for you?
1: Yeah, I think there are a number of things going to happen. For me, as chief executive, it's going to be getting out and meeting staff and and, um, residents and colleagues. It's going to be fantastic. Um, For the business, it is we have about 90 percent of colleagues telling us that they don't want to come back to offices full time. Yeah. Um so we're looking at how we reconfigure our spaces to have more meeting rooms, more collaboration, idea sharing spaces. So that's a really exciting project that we're looking at. Mm. Um what else am I looking forward to? Um I'm I'm looking forward to to just some of those normal interactions of being able to meet people for coffee. The the development and construction industry is about relationships and yeah. people and you know, we do a lot of joint ventures, a lot of partnerships, and they are best formed, really, on mm. an understanding of each other's organisations and cultures. And I have to say, we're all doing brilliantly electronically, but I, I still want to get back out and meet people. And, you know, I'd like to go to a restaurant. I'd like to go to the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what? Yeah. I like to commute. I miss listening to very loud music on my commute. Is that how you commute? Yeah. What are you normally rocking out to? <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, so I'm very old, so, so sort of <laughs> dance music, you know, stuff from... Um, I used to go to an amazing club night at um, Fabric, which I probably shouldn't yeah. name it, But, it's, you know, just... Really, really loud tunes. Fantastic.
0: I mean, for the business as well with those, um, would you expect that there'll be further joint ventures or, or more partnerships or, or even any um, company acquisitions? Um, you know, that's how l and typically grown.
1: Yeah. Um, mergers and acquisitions aren't off the table completely. But uh-huh. what I would say is that over the period of this five year corporate plan, yeah. we are more inwardly focused. So, you know, back to that earlier point about the safety of our residents, operational excellence, investing in our stock and building out the pipeline we've we've already got.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, But after that, who knows? We back to my other point about curiosity. I am always curious about other businesses, how we can support each other. Yeah. We have some amazing joint venture partners and um I would love to do more with Um, most of those joint venture partners because they've been fantastic for us. Fantastic, not just Mm -hmm. in terms of the homes they build for us, but the learning. Uh, We learn an awful lot in sales, in marketing, in construction planning, on site planning. The way we were all able to share how we were making our sites COVID compliant Uh, has been Mm -hmm. absolutely brilliant during this period. Um, And with the joint venture arrangement, there is such understanding between the organisations we've worked with over uh, well over a decade in many cases is just fantastic. But we were not that interested in Section 106 or whatever the new planning, whenever they eventually come out after the consultation. Um, Yeah, we we want something that's a bit more meeting of equals than, than... Simply buying Section 106 stock, that was never really Ellen style.
0: At this point in the conversation, Fiona, continuing that enthusiasm, starts to dig into the current seven joint venture partners, how she would like to grow that, and working with more SMEs down the line. You can read more in her EG interview in the coming weeks. Thanks for listening.